from you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Code Cinema here on WGM+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. We're, as always, excited to be back here for another week of Chicago film conversation. Uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, we've got our No Coast Board of Review for the month of November. Uh, Going to be talking about a lot of interesting stuff, including a film that you and I are both very interested in, The House That Jack Built. Yep. Um, there's a little bit of controversy around there, not just the film itself, but also its release. Uh, IFC is looking at some fines for how they went through this release cycle with the unedited director's cut so um we'll have to get into that but we'll have our whole board of review some new faces there as well very excited for that but right now we've got one of our uh, favorite guests the amy guth executive director of the midwest independent film festival she's here to talk a little bit about uh, their upcoming first tuesday event the best of the midwest awards nomination party it's coming up on december 4th it's going to run from 6 to 9 30 and uh, that's going to be over at the landmark century cinema as always 2828 north clark street here in chicago amy Welcome back. Thanks. Always a pleasure to be here. So uh, this is this is huge. We're getting into the awards season for you guys. That's right. And we're doing it a little bit differently this year. Usually we do the Best of the Midwest Awards at this first Tuesday mark in December. And, you know, I really think... I, I mean, I was thinking about a couple of things. One of them was like, gosh, it's such a busy time to be asking people to come to an awards ceremony. It's not really awards season. That happens after the first of the year and into like early spring. And, you know, I was like, it's, you know, holiday time. You're asking people to, you know, be away. And I, and I think this event is too big to contain into one night. So I really wanted to celebrate the nominees as well as the winners of the awards. And so I've split it into two nights. And so the nomination party, um, usually in years past, what we've done is released it and with a big announcement online and said, okay, online voting is open. Here we go. And the awards committee, you know, pared it down to, you know, five in each category and open it for nominations. But so we're going to celebrate it a little bit differently this year because really the focus is about this is a, the film festival is a community organizing tool. And I think it's important to, to really lean on that and embrace it. And so we are um, having everybody show up and having a big party and we're screening the five nominated short films but none of the people know who those people are no one knows they've been nominated um so it's just going to be i think a fun night we've made some really cool um video like an intro video and we've had some community members from the midwest independent film festival family do some quick cell phone videos just in a casual environment saying you know hi i'm so and so and these are the nominees for and then entering a category and um, it's really been fun to pull that together because it's also a time in which we're kind of showcasing our volunteers and our our team and the people you don't normally hear from the people that are kind of helping you get settled in or checked in or whatever um so i'm really excited about this one it's gonna be really really fun well, it's a big jumping on point for people as well. If you have not gone to any of these first Tuesdays, I mean, this is a great place to start because not only are you going to get to know 
the folks that contribute and volunteer and are part of the Midwest Independent Film Festival, but also you get to watch these short films that you might have missed in previous screenings or you haven't, you know, had the chance to watch at all. And I, I mean, I love that. And it gives you a chance, even if you've been going to a lot of this stuff, you know, you can catch up, remind yourself, hey, these are the short films. These are the people I want to be watching. That's and right. let's be honest, we're getting into the time of year now where you want to be around your family. And as everybody knows, in order to create a movie, it takes a village, it takes a family. And everybody should be coming together within the community to celebrate one another. That's so true. You know, I, I think about that so often because, you know, I'm I'm getting I'm receiving so many submissions all the time and I, I watch them. And of course, when you're in the industry, you watch the credits in a different way than if you're just like a random person going to the movies, right? right. You, you're looking for, oh, that's so-and-so that works at this production house, or that's so-and-so that works here. And, and you start to notice how many hats everybody's wearing here in the Midwest and in the Chicago film community in particular, but also how much we're all helping each other. Because mm-hmm. you'll see, I mean, there's one name that came up on a couple different projects that are nominated. And um, actually, there's a couple of names that have come up on a few different projects that are nominated. And, and one person was in very different roles on the two different projects that, you know, that he was involved in. So I think that's really interesting and, and just speaks to this wonderful, like, let's just pull together and get your film made kind of vibe here that I really, really love and embrace. And so many people are kind of a jack of all trades. You know, you meet folks who are in the film community that can be, you know, your cinematographer or a gaffer or a PA, yeah. or an actor, even. Absolutely. Um, I know there's a lot of actors who dip their toes into like the producing side of things, a little bit into maybe some writing. And it, I think it just provides for a big kind of creative, I don't know, soup that everybody can draw a little bit from and, help, as you said, help each other get things finished. Yeah. That seems to be the toughest part about making a Absolutely. film is getting it actually finished out the door and yeah. tack that soup onto you know not every inviting everybody no one really knows who's going to actually get to eat that kind of adds for right. a little bit of a <laughs> right. an extra like little spice into the yeah. into the evening craft services are not you know not guaranteed. guaranteed on the set yeah. <laughs> they are they are in a, in a sagandy it is it is uh but i think too it's interesting when you see uh, these r- real labor of love projects where you, where you, you know, we make this spreadsheet when, you know, I'm tracking everything we've shown all year long and I'm pulling out, okay, who, who wrote it, who directed it, who starred in it, who edited, who did this, who did this, who did this. So I can nominate in all 11 categories. And, uh, it's not weird to see that somebody starred in it, wrote it, directed it, and probably edited it. You know, yeah, that's right. not weird. There's, I mean, there, I think that's great. And I, I mean, I feel terrible for anyone <laughs> who has to wear all the hats. Right. But some people want that. And they're like, I have this vision of how I want this project to be. I see that a lot with animation. There's a, we get a lot of animated shorts. And I see that a lot where people are like, you know what? I learned this skill and this is kind of my passion project. And I wanted to see it through. And here's this, you know, short about this crime fighting, whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like this cool little animated short. And, um, and I think that's so fun when it's like, oh, I just kind of sat there and did it. It took me two years and I, I did it and I voiced it and I did this and, and it's cool. And you're like, wow, you are literally every credit on there. <laughs> that yep. said, I mean, I think there's a, there's a flip side to that, right? That sometimes you need to say, am I the best person to do it? Which mm-hmm. is sometimes you are. Sometimes you're like, I know there is not a better editor than, than me and I'm going to edit this thing. That's cool. I love that. But I'm like... I'm the first to admit, like, I'm a good editor, but it takes me forever because I'm so nitpicky about it. Mm-hmm. I'm better off, like, handing that off to somebody and then going back with them and reviewing. It'll, there's some, there's it'll some, move faster. There's something, like, super insular about animation, right? It's like the bedroom pop of yeah, cinema. It, yeah. 
It, it really That's is. That's so true. Um, but I was curious, how long is your animation block in the? Uh, how long is your animation block in the actual festival? Um, you know what? We we don't have any restrictions on it. So all, oh, really? so all year all long, like all year long, we can we can put in uh, an animated piece. Like in Female Filmmakers Night, for example, that happened in August, there were a couple of animated pieces in there that spectacular ones. Yeah, well. they were really cool. And and I mean, we get a, we do get a lot of animation. For some reason, a lot of it comes from Indiana and Ohio. I have no idea why. A lot that of free is. time. Yeah, I, <laughs> I <laughs> a lot don't of know. slackers down there. But no, I think no, it's no. really cool. I think that's really great. Um, you know, one of the questions in Film Freeway, our submission platform, is that we ask you to answer when you're submitting your film is what qualifies it as a Midwestern film. Sometimes that's really a stretch. Sometimes people are like, well, I was born in Chicago and then we moved to California and I grew up there, but I sure like it there. Like, yeah. no, bro, please. I now, go back to my grandma's house for things. That's right. Like I know. visit every year and it's a really cool place. Now, if you say. So that's what makes my film Midwestern. Midwestern. Right. That's what makes it Midwestern. Now, if you were to say. I, I'm not from the Midwest, but I my feature is set in Chicago. You're qualified. That's fine. You can do that. It has to be a Midwestern story or by a Midwestern filmmaker. What what makes a Midwestern story other than location, in your opinion? Because I think, yeah. you know, that we see a lot of things that are set in Chicago or espe- I mean, especially Chicago, because third largest city in the United States. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, what really makes a Midwestern story? as someone who's watched so many of them. Yeah. I mean, I think about that a lot, right? Because I, uh, many moons ago, was writing about local literature for the Tribune. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my first job at the Tribune. I was really covering the local literary scene. And that, call, that called for me to um, draw upon the canon of Chicago literature regularly to compare it mm-hmm. to like, oh, this is very... Uh, Native Son, or this is very Upton Sinclair, this is very this, this is very Sister Carrie, whatever, um, and and pull from that a lot. So I think about that a lot. Like, what is the common thread through all all Chicago stories or Midwestern stories? I, I don't know that there is one because there's not one universal experience. I think there's a, tends to be kind of a, like a, a little bit of a uh, bootstrap it through kind of vibe like it's more it's a usually a very determined character who is just pushing through some circumstances mm-hmm. we don't see a lot you know like the example people always go to on screen is the friends apartment right and friends yeah. that apartment was ridiculous we don't see a lot of unrealistic kind of stuff like that in independent cinema in chicago in the midwest right. we see that very classic like Chicago apartment with that stupid long hall and you can barely open the damn door <laughs> like bay we, window. Yeah, we like oh, we God. see that it's, apartment see so <laughs> much, right? And I think that's cool and that's great. And you know, and and that's that's fine. So, I think it is cool when when we feel that kind of midwestern vibe in a story. It's also cool when you explicitly say something said in the Midwest. Sometimes it is about place and the the place is a character in and of itself sometimes particularly when we're dealing i think with small towns a lot it is about like a homecoming a coming of age a a leaving a place a coming back to a place something like that i think that's when place is super significant that said it's sometimes just really fun to just see a beautiful shot and you're like hey that's the bean yeah Yeah, Yeah, totally that's michigan avenue we've even when we spoke with director kyle henry about his film rogers park 
um, he really captured that, you know, especially with we're a city of neighborhoods, you know, mm-hmm. and while that is con- that is changing very much in this day and age in Chicago as uh, things like gentrification progresses and the kind of homogenization of a lot of these neighborhoods, there's still staples of it that you can capture in these in these films. And speaking of the apartments, I mean, that's usually from what we've learned is usually part of the production process. They're literally shooting in their, in their apartments, right. in their friends' apartments. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that. I love that level of authenticity that it brings to the, to the film. There was a film that we, um, that we showed during uh, last month during advertising community shorts night. And I remember seeing a crew shooting this uh, like not my exact street but kind of two cross streets right by me i kind of remember this but people are shooting stuff in my neighborhood a lot it wasn't until i saw that film that i was like i think that was that scene i saw that's totally the bodega that i go to yeah. that's that, <laughs> like that's the place that and i think i said that during the filmmaker q a because he was kind of talking about uh shooting around the mm-hmm. city and piecing it together to be one make it look like one cohesive place based on just kind of scrap in and getting it like where could he shoot and i was like that bodega is my bodega and i kind of remember you doing that that's where i go to get my ritz crackers that's that's really interesting because like from what you were saying tom about how you you kind of get to watch these people using all of the resources that like putting it all out on the table right Mm -hmm. and then other people when they're watching it they get the opportunity to kind of make it a part of themselves and i think that's that's kind of my that's probably my favorite aspect about indie films in chicago aside from the you know the narrative or whatever is getting to have like this intensely personal experience with the movies, which you wouldn't really get otherwise in larger, you know, studio yeah, type of films. Definitely not. When you're shooting in like, you know, so many studio films shooting like Toronto because yeah. it can look like so many different cities. Fake it can, Chicago. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. It's it's scary. Like when you go to Toronto, you're like, man, this could definitely be like maybe somewhere in Lincoln Park or Lakeview or, you know, there's parts of it that could but, be... But it's like that Simpsons when Ned Flanders met Canadian Ned Flanders and then he offered him a joint and he was like, they said the devil would be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. You're not Chicago. You're not. <laughs> but you're not. Um, let's get into the event itself. Yeah. So um, I love the Midwestern Independent Film Festival. Thank because there's they're a, they're a full thing. It's a, it's a night. It's a night that it's you... It's a whole night. Exactly. You come in, you've got a cocktail reception at 6 o'clock. We always have some educational programming, right. which I would add that in 2019, we're going to be expanding that educational programming quite a bit mm-hmm. um, to be continued. I'll have to come back and visit again and tell Absolutely. you more about that. But um, I, I mean, I really think every single day, in fact, I even have it on a post-it on my computer monitor, how am I serving the film community? to make sure that all of my decisions are guided by that and not what is necessarily the easiest but or the quickest thing to do, but like what is the right thing for the community? And I really kept coming back to that because mm-hmm. when we have panel discussions, we, you know, I, I love, love when, when a new filmmaker will go, you said a word I don't know. You said DCP. What is that? Yeah, and someone will go, oh, well, here's what it is. And they'll explain. I'm like, you have this access to someone who knows what the hell they're doing, who's been there and done that and can help you. Why would you not ask that? And the fact that we have set the space in such a way that people feel comfortable asking a question without prefacing it with, this might be a stupid question, but but they'll just ask it. I love that. That makes me so happy. I love that. And I just think more of that is so needed to to really serve filmmakers at every career stage. I think we we do a lot to talk with young filmmakers. And we, you know, I think it's 
people come to the film festival looking for mentorship and advice on a lot of things. But then what happens once you've done, you, once you, your first feature is out? You know, I think there's there's a lot of conversation to be had around really shaping your career. It's not just a bunch of different projects in a void. You can really be very strategic about it in a creative career but so more more to be uh more to be discussed on that but but that's something to look for in 2019 so so there is uh you know the cocktail reception people come they mingle they talk they get to know other people and there's always some cool side projects that start every single month i hear somebody going like oh that's so cool i was actually looking for someone who can juggle fire while driving or you know there's always something <laughs> like that um some wonderful serendipity happens and then um and then the program will start at uh, at 7:30 and so we're going to and this is you know like i said this is a very new thing this year so we're doing it in a very different way and then we'll have the awards in January at a separate time it will not be a Tuesday it's going to be another day of the week um, to make it you know special night special date kind of thing it's a the the best of the Midwest awards that's the night we actually ask you to dress up the rest of the time you can roll in and whatever yeah Um, but that's the night we ask you to dress up and it's a little bit higher ticket price because it's our big fundraiser for the year but it's also you know a time to really celebrate these these filmmakers and at that point public voting will happen so on Tuesday night, as we are rolling this video that we have created, making the announcements, and once the the short films start um, voting, I'm going to run upstairs and turn voting live. So people will be able to vote right then. If you have the app, which we'll be promoting here in the next couple of days, mm-hmm. um, um, you will be on the, the SurveyMonkey app. You'll be able to sit there and vote right then in the theater or that night at wow. the after party, hopefully before you start doing shots or whatever. Yeah. But uh, you can do your votes right there and get that done. So it'll be it's exciting because then you see people you see communities rallying around filmmakers saying like this is my friend's film and I really want it to win and this is what I need. Like everybody go vote, go do this. So we it's it's a little bit weighted, though. So it's um, it's one third of it is um is our team one third of it is the public vote and then one third of it is the uh the awards committee and that's people from the um from the community that are in the family that have been watching all year with awards in mind so we so someone can't like totally game the voting right right. um but it also keeps us you know we can't necessarily uh it keeps us honest too right because that way there's the public vote there's the committee and then there's ours too well it's so nice to have an opportunity to like you know, just influence an award because you know you watch the Oscars, you watch the Golden Globes. It's all, it's all cash. Yeah, it's all, it's all yeah. really who spent the most money yeah. in a lot of ways, and that's not to disparage anybody yeah. uh, who's ever won an Oscar or won a Golden Globe. No, but like, it's I so wouldn't much turn one it. down. Yeah, I would not. <laughs> yeah, I, would I mean, not. I would say this, and uh, like I think the um, our our process. I've been really trying to open up about and and open it up and be a lot more transparent about what our process is from the minute you submit your film to whether or not it like wins an award because i think that's mm-hmm. i mean i think we owe you the filmmaker that much you know if you're going to pay the submission fee and ours are still pretty reasonable some of them are really expensive but ours are 25 bucks um if you're going to you know pay us to to screen your film like every film is going to get watched we're going to give every single thing consideration the the screening committee is going to look at it and score it and so in film freeway we have all these tools like one through ten rated on all these different technical points it's not just like i i loved it or you know because you need to safeguard against like your own bias and the bias of the screener you know you can't just be like 
yeah, that that, uh, you know, actress reminded me of my ex-wife or whatever. I hated it, you know, when it's like a beautiful film. Yeah. So we have all, like a lot of technical, we have performance, we have directing, we have sound, we have cinematography, we have original idea, we have all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And then that automatically um, tabulates into an overall score and you have the opportunity to write in notes. And then the scores from all the different people who screened it get get taken into consideration and and, you know, I, I set out some guidelines when I got in there and I was like, OK, if you give something a five, that means it really didn't move me either way. Like it wasn't bad enough to make me angry, but it wasn't good enough to make me joyful. It's just sort of there. It's fine. Right, sure. mm-hmm. It's passable, but it's fine. But and then work off of that. So I sat down and like defined what here. If you give it a one, here's what this means. If you give it a 10, this is what this means. And I say yeah. like seven or above, you're willing to fight for that to be screened. Like sure. it's pretty good and we shouldn't miss it. And so from that point, you know, getting through that is one filter and then that's when it's a little you know there's some there's a little bit of nuance there because sometimes i've had to reject a film that's really good just because i just had one just like it like we played um we showed hesburgh which is a beautiful documentary about father ted hesburgh who was the longtime president of of uh, notre dame and then not long after that i got somebody submitted a documentary about another priest that was a social justice guy and i was like eh I just showed this. Yeah, we can't do this now. Maybe some, you know, we'll hold on to it. I mean, because check you get in with these, me in a year. So yeah. is that a luck of the draw kind of thing? I'm curious. I, is that like a? Did you see the previous movie and then the the next one that came in? It was. Did you have to kind of pass on it because you had seen a movie that was too similar to it and given it admission or? Well, I would say, I mean, kind of, yeah. Like it had gotten yeah. through the screening committee okay, and it, and it was doing, you know, the the numbers it received were were pretty good, mm-hmm. and and then. And then I see it. I'm like, yeah, but it's so similar to Hesburgh. And, you know, in Hesburgh, once it got to me, I watched three seconds of it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really good. And, you know, I I usually like try to watch like all the time, pretty much daily. I'll check in and see what's going on in there. And I um, that one in particular, I started pretty late at night. I was like, "Eh, I'll just kind of see because sometimes with a long film, I'll just kind of like what's the vibe. And then I'll position it somewhere else in my day that'll be like when i can just sit and chill and not think about it so i was like i'll just see the vibe and i hit got up hit pause put coffee on and came back and i was like okay here we go really i'm in i'm doing this yeah because it was like from the jump i thought this is really good so yeah sometimes it's that and i try to say that a lot because i never ever want a filmmaker to be like I, I tried and it sucked and I, I failed and I gave up. I never want that. So I say in the rejection that we send out, um, I specifically say we would like to see, you know, I hope that I see more of your work. I will specifically yeah. write that because um, if it's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if I it's mean, not true, I'll be like, great luck to we, you. Yeah, we appreciate your, <laughs> appreciate your hard work. But that's, I mean, that's curation. That's and right. Cur- and curation is immensely important and having something like the midwest independent film festival going through these films because it's so it's it's laborious both in you know having to use your filmmaker brain and also having to use all that empathy to watch these movies and try to connect and go through these stories and and have in the back of your head this idea like somebody worked really hard on this that's right and whether or not you like it you have to like keep that in mind mm-hmm. so that's why i mean the emotional labor of going through and watching all these movies that's why i always hate the idea like oh critics they just get to sit and watch movies and pass judgments like no a good critic really it takes something out of them and they don't want to necessarily and that's a a good critic not all critics but a good critic and i would say the a similar thing applies to the gatekeeper gatekeeper 
curator role because I I was I would just made like a tweet thread slash rant about this the other day because I love when people will call and say, um, hi, uh, may I speak with Amy Guth, please speaking? Okay. I've just submitted a film and I just I know you get a ton of them and I just wanted to put it on your radar. Here's why I think it would be great at the Midwest Indie. I love that. I love that so much because mm-hmm. I am getting a ton of films. And I then when I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this was that person. And this is the thing. It doesn't necessarily give them a leg up, but it sure does not hurt them. And it does make me go, oh, where is that one that guy just called about? And well, go you find it because everything will get watched. It sure. might take a minute, but everything will get watched and considered fairly. But it will sometimes make me kind of go to that but I especially love when someone's like done their homework and they're like, here's why this would work. You haven't played anything like it all year. It's the, you know, it's a different genre than this and it's about this. And now's a good time culturally to show that. Like, I love yeah. that kind of, cause it says like, you're an advocate for your work. You got moxie kid. Yeah, kid, yeah. You got moxie. It's but so I think important to follow it, up. It is. It's important to follow up. And also I think there's this kind of like idea out there. And this is, I've said this when I worked as an editor, I've, I say this now that, It's so easy to feel insecure about your work because it's your, you know, you're putting your, you're opening a vein and bleeding on a page or a screen or what, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to feel insecure about it. And, and to some extent you kind of should care about it in a, not too neurotic, but you know, in an emotional way. But, but I, I invite you to make this shift in your head. And that is consider that we're not all sitting there like, rubbing our hands together like Mr. Burns and like can't wait to reject you and break your heart. In fact, if you send me something amazing, like the first five minutes I saw Hesburgh, I was like, yes, I love this, right? That made my life easier. In five minutes, I knew I'm going to show this film. Mm -hmm. And I know that a, like, basically I have a year of, I don't want to say problems, but like a year of things to solve, right? And that is, I need to to fill these programming holes. And if you send me something amazing, you've solved one of those, like you've plugged one of those holes for me. So good art is a solution. It is. That's exactly what it is. It is a solution. And so I invite the shift for people to think of their writing or their film or their art or their, whatever it is that they're submitting at thinking about it as this could be a solution rather than like, I'm, I'm bothering this person. I love that. I love that very much. The Midwest Independent Film Festival. Uh, we've got the first Tuesday, the Best of the Midwest nomination party. It's December 4th, so that's tomorrow. That's so right. So go get your tickets now. It's MidwestFilm.com Midwest or .org. Either one you want. All right. Midwest and how Film. about this? Um, anyone listening who would like to come, they can get half-price tickets with promo code NOCOAST. Ooh. Ooh. Well, well, well. And that applies to the premium tickets or the general admission. So instead of 10 or 15, they would be 5 or 750. Oh, that... That's Come cheaper on, than any movie ticket. That's right. And Pick you're out gonna... something nice. Use the savings maybe to go buy like a sports jacket or something. Yeah. For the, for the so event. So that you can look good at the event. Yeah. So uh, get dressed up. It's going to be on December 4th. Again, tomorrow, 6 p.m. to 9.30. Uh, so 10 to $15 or 50% off with promo code no coast these reels um, are a steal people come on get out there it's going to be over at the landmark century cinema at 2828 north clark street here in chicago amy guth thank you so much always a pleasure gentlemen all right we'll be right back with our no coast board of review in just a moment until then stick around you're listening to no coast cinema here on wgn plus
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM Plus, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. I'm Connor Cornelius. And uh, right now we're going into one of my favorite monthly segments, the NoCo Board of Review. I am your board chairman, Connor, my co-chairman. I could be like your cat that sits on your lap and I just get pet. That'd be super nice. Yeah. Because you're Although, sort of like the evil mastermind behind this right. whole thing anyway. Yeah. And, you know, what I say goes. And That's if true. there's any sort of hostile takeover, I'll, I'll be there to scratch their eyes out. Right. I imagine you as a shaved cat. Yeah. Just like straight up just skin. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Got great skin. You moisturize? It's not. No, it's been. Uh, we don't have. We could get it. We can this get it later, it. Tom. It's anyway. Just, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no Coast Board of Review. Uh, we've got some new faces here, new chair, uh, chair people, board members here. Uh, so I'm going to have them each introduce themselves. Uh, let's start over here. Clint. I am Clint Worthington. I am a senior writer for film and TV over at Consequence of Sound. And I also co host the podcast and run the website Alka Hollywood. And if I may, can I volunteer for Comptroller? Oh, yeah. can, okay. Comptroller. Who's Alderman? I don't know. Is that <laughs> I don't know how that works. Well, we've got another, our our, our consistent member, our yes. most consistent member outside of ourselves. Hi, it's Matt's Pull again from Film Monthly, etc. All right, we'll have to find a position for you. Treasurer? A treasurer? Is that like yeah. a comptroller? I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't feel know. like it's higher up because I feel like, and he is like, yeah, like you he's said, a more he's been senior here. member. He's been ten- tenured. I feel like he gets like a little bit higher up of a of a position in the in the board. We'll yeah. figure it out. Nothing against you guys. I mean, yeah, I'm right. not sure what I would be in comptroll of, but yes. <laughs> and then finally, our new our uh, other new member, uh, Nick Allen. I'm an assistant editor at RogerEbert.com, and I'd like to be janitor. Janitor. Hell All right, yeah, someone's got to clean the boardroom. That's a really good point. It's kind of it's musty in here. It's a little musty. In here. Anyway, so uh, November, uh, we're finally. You know, I would say November is a pretty good month generally from year to year. You're going to get some prestige pictures. You're going to yep. get um, some more holiday leaning stuff. Uh, there's some that we're not going to touch on because we've already touched on it previously or that I don't care about. Um, if you want to hear us talk about something like Other Side of the Wind, we have a great conversation about Other Side of the Wind with Jake filmmaker. Wiseman. Yeah, Jake S. Wiseman. Uh, nice long conversation about that. Uh, we're also not going to talk about The Grinch because fuck that movie. That yeah. movie sucks. I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't. I didn't particularly like um, anything past the Boris Karloff like TV special that they did. What? Okay. Well, that's bullshit. Because you don't. You like the Jim Carrey one? <laughs> yeah. Are you okay. Well, me? you we know, talk that's, about this later. That's later. I'm, I did. Don't be a I, Grinch about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> something I did want to say about this month is I. I'm a big fan when movies in a particular month go run the full gamut from like super wholesome and like oh it just gives you that you know that, yeah like, ooh nice feeling and then it. it takes you down into like the ninth circle of hell as well, yes. which i think we got like a really nice uh you know a really nice it runs uh, the spectrum. gamut it yeah. runs a full gamut yeah. exactly so um let's start off with something that was very popular and um brought up a lot of conversation as a movie like this does about the role of a critic yeah um i know matt uh shared some tweets that about being a critic and what that means that i really loved um and it was kind of around this movie bohemian rhapsody the queen biopic that uh people audiences loved critics were pretty lukewarm on i would say is is the most charitable thing i can say i don't think i really saw anybody that hated it they were just like this is okay yeah i didn't see any people who loved i know some people who hated it 
but like in the public but in the public eye a lot of people were just sphere, like there eh. was no one who was vehemently against it i would right. say i mean it's like because i don't think anyone's against the concept to begin with it's kind of hard to you'd have to be mad at the execution which is easy to do but yeah. it's not you can't be mad really at just the concept yeah so let's let's start and get everybody's thoughts so uh clint I actually ended up skipping Rhapsody you and House that Jack job. built because uh, mm. I, I'm I'm reaching my quota of movies made, made by monsters this year. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I only have so much time on my hands. I'll get around to them eventually, but I had to prioritize other things. Dude, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian Singer, right, was the Brian original Singer. director and of. He, yeah, he was one of the original director. Well, he was the original director, and then um, when they were almost done with shooting, they replaced him with Dexter Fletcher, who did Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle, um, and he was in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoke and Barrels. Yeah. He, he was, was soap. yeah, yeah. And so they brought him in to do to finish off production. And I wouldn't say you can tell as much as you fear you might be able to, but mm-hmm. it does highlight the general incoherence of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean. The main thing is, like, this was announced back in 2010 with Sasha Baron Cohen playing mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury, and then it kind of lingered in production hell, but more like limbo, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they decided to make it more of, like, a queen biopic. But the thing is, the entire time, it's so obviously its DNA is a Freddie Mercury biopic. Which I think you can't avoid when you're making a movie about queen. Right. Yeah, but it's it's... Well, for one thing, it's... It's so sanitized that it doesn't really have the wherewithal to do anything beyond like a surface level Wikipedia skim, although revisionist, yeah. somewhat problematic. Yeah, I mean surface uh, level Wikipedia skim. I believe it changes around um, his his AIDS diagnosis. Correct. If oh, I'm yeah, yeah. yeah, I heard of this. I heard of this. Yeah. Oh, with yeah. the Highlander song playing. Yeah, too. they imply that, that he wrote that because he was didn't that was about his diagnosis when it was not even written by him and it was right. about mm-hmm. it was for Highlander. <laughs> I, I would like to add that there's uh that when walk hard came out in about 2008 uh that kind of truly broke the music biopic yeah yeah I, good point bohemian rhapsody does not beat that no rule. like I, why does it need to exist i understand queen i don't know yeah. of a, a lot of movies that have been made about queen aside from probably some documentaries but like yeah. why was this the movie that was made you know i kind of because would you like can to ask you guys for yeah. awards nominations totally yeah. and, and it's accessible enough people and, yeah. love queen songs it's accessible the enough but it's around. also accessible enough when you dumb it down well that sounds crass when you like <laughs> simplify it or yeah. main or you you smooth down the edges and give it a pg-13 rating and sort of take away the the grittiness of the fact that he was a queer man in the 70s and 80s right kind of i don't even i i might be wrong but i don't even think he's the one who says that he's bisexual i don't believe so it's like they don't even give him that moment but aside from that they they do that and they skim over it and they you know they really try to they really skim through it like you get like some really quick asides of maybe like establishing shots of what is supposed to be him in like a gay bar with like leather daddies walking yeah. around him and that's the extent of it but it's so sanitized that none of the drama rings true and most most of the drama is like like a dramatic irony humor of like oh mike myers is the producer and he's saying they won't make it but yeah. you know they make it and that's right. inherently funny apparently have you seen wayne's world i mean yeah, yeah. clearly yeah, do it um i i do have to ask the board here um rami malik how do we feel mm. i feel like he's been one of the few unimpeachable elements from what i've heard is like like no matter what your feelings on the film he's good as oh, he's very good yeah 
I mean, and I really like him as an actor, and I really I, that's one of the reasons why I will eventually get around to seeing Bohemian Rhapsody. But uh, I mean, good for him if he's able to use this as a platform to bigger stuff. But um, yeah. It only takes a movie so far how great the performance is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, there have been more prestigious movies that have challenged that, more uh, Beatty, Oscar Beatty kind of movies that challenge yeah. that. And if there's not a lot of uh, story behind this great character performance, it only gets so much credibility. So, I, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not wooed as much by the Rami Malik performance. I mean, maybe his study of the physicality of Freddie Mercury on stage was probably my favorite part about it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of anything else, it's, it's a script that needs to be good first. And Nick, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Nick, you brought up walk hard, the Dewey Cox story, which <laughs> yes. was, it mm-hmm. broke the music biopic. Yes. And I, f- I found that one to be almost an almost a uh, direct reaction to, um, like re- the two biopics that I think set a certain standard in the mid two thousands, Ray, and walk the line yeah and those were like the zenith of that format of how you do a music biopic and then walk hard comes along and breaks it and it's funny i was speaking of jake wiseman i was just talking to him about this the other day you you don't have walk hard and and granted i don't think it was that popular of a movie i don't think as many people saw it as to like influence the culture that much but you don't make walk hard and then go back and try to do that format it's broken it's parodied and it looks ridiculous and that's the entire what i felt throughout the entirety of bohemian rhapsody was like this is ridiculous i can't believe that we're taking this band and we're doing this to them. That's the thing is they even say in the movie like, "Oh, we don't do formulas because they're complete." Yeah. And utter- there's an actual line. There's an actual line where they're saying, "Oh, we don't do formulas because they're a complete and utter waste of time." Yeah. And I was like, "That's funny." And <laughs> it's. I mean, I was wondering after as I was watching it, I was like, "Okay, who wrote this?" It was the screenwriter of Darkest Hour, the most <laughs> ar- right. the yeah. most Oscar Beatty right. safest yeah. movie of right. 2017. I'm like, "Oh, of course he made this." Yeah. Would you guys agree that this is what I keep reading about it is that Rami Malek is the reason that most people like mo- like your average moviegoer that's what the people are going to take away from this movie, right? If it will be remembered at all. I think that and also people just like Queen songs. There's a lot of they great do. Queen yeah. songs and the okay. movie functions as like a true greatest hits collection, but you get to watch them right. It's like a hologram one. tour. Yeah. Because yeah. every every <laughs> scene ends them. with like a really obvious needle drop that isn't self-aware but it thinks it's earnestly cute. yeah well yeah. And there's also those huge joseph mazzello fans who want to see where timmy from jurassic park uh ended up because <laughs> <laughs> grown-up joe mazzello plays one of the band members he played he's, he's really good is yes. he roger taylor or I think those mazzello heads that are really driving yeah. people to the theater <laughs> just like holding their star kid uh dvds and, yeah. <laughs> finally finally all right let's hop on over to uh boy erased keeping on this thread of uh queer characters oh matt he's he's lighting up I don't know if it's a good light. No, it's not. I'm. It's it's funny. I'm the only one who's seen this um, here, but ever just yeah. He's the only one in the theater. Okay, what I'm kind of happy that this. I think the last time I looked, this is pushing maybe like seven million domestic. If this came out like ten years ago, it would have done a lot better because it also would have been more timely or quote-unquote groundbreaking i'm happy more people are not seeing this movie because i think in a way it's kind of damaging let's get some of the details out there directed by joel edgerton yeah um this is his debut feature no he did the gift Uh, gift. all right so this is second feature from joel edgerton russell crowe um we've got the kid from 
all the sad indie movies. Yeah. I can't even think of it. I Lucas feel bad. Hedges. Ben Lucas is Hedges. back is back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and it's sad I forget him because I do I do like his performances. I think he's a pretty I think he's a pretty decent actor most of the time. I have not seen Boy Erased though. Uh is it Nicole Kidman? Yeah, in Nicole this? Kidman plays the mom and she's pretty much defined by her Dolly Parton hair. I thought the movie took place in like the seventies. It takes place in the early two thousands. Good Christ. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. And because they have, you know, flip cell phones Same and they're thing. like playing um I think they're playing Street Fighter in once in one scene. Nice. But nice. but nice. then and then later on they're like Skype messaging each other when it's like a, an epilogue scene. But I mean, the main thing is this is a what especially pisses me off is that this movie came out um, about three months after the Miseducation of Cameron Post, which came out in August, mm-hmm. and I really liked that movie, and no one saw it. And it was the Desiree Akhavan gay conversion therapy movie starring Chloe Grace Moretz and Sasha Lane. Mm-hmm. And that movie did a fantastic job establishing the conversion center as a place, and it established its despotism and how hypocritical all of its people were and it played with the iconography of all of its um of all the people who were running the center like um in that movie like one of the main uh conversion people is sort of like a shitty like non-fat milk version of ned flanders and there's like this (laughs) implicit self-awareness to the movie this movie has none of that and it's so dull and rote and just an exercise in misery especially at this point in time that's so unnecessary but the thing that it's the thing is past that it's you know it's ugly emotionally but it's also ugly visually it's caked in this it's drenched in the sepia palette tone that's super distracting and really doesn't do much of anything even from the trailer i was like this does not look nice no it's it's excessive and it also does a thing where it's it's told in and out of sequence um but not really for any particular reason Mm -hmm. um but then the main thing that pissed me off is that this is a movie that at its core and i really don't think this is a spoiler it just hasn't been advertised this is a movie about dealing with rape there is a like maybe a third of the way through this movie this is there's a, a rape scene in this movie and the thing is joel edgerton is not a good director at least not enough to deal with this subject matter in a way that gives it any sort of like dives into the trauma of it at all and it feels pretty damn exploitative at points especially when they say oh we're not going to go past this we're going to talk about it and then they skim through it and Mm. instead they talk about a bunch of other bullshit and it's you know that's also the only the only depiction of any sort of queer intimacy in this movie is a rape scene so and that's, it's that's problematic as fuck. Yeah, and the that's thing is, also okay. on top of that, like it tokenizes all of its characters. Mm-hmm. They're all they're not archetypes; they're stereotypes. But it, on top of that, it also tokenizes all of its ethics. So it's it's so it's like it's just it's not really a movie; it's more of a machine to churn out nominations. I just hope that it doesn't really get anything. Do you guys feel that it was as problematic? I have not seen it. Yeah, we guys have seen it. Oh right, Matt was the only one. Yeah, that yeah. yeah. So I'm yeah. the only one ever who saw it. <laughs> That's Definitely. true. Yeah. So a hard a hard skip from Matt Sapola. Mm-hmm. Um, Widows. Yeah, Widows. Yeah. All right, real, from real the great solid. Steve McQueen, and again, not that Steve McQueen. I, I can't tell you how many older people have come to the theater I work at, and they'll be like, oh, what's this Widows movie? It says it's directed by Steve McQueen. He's been dead for years. I'm like, yeah, dude, <laughs> or this so is a different movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's he's directing, uh, you know, a from Chicago From Beyond thriller. the Grave. That's actually directed by Orson Welles. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, directed by Steve McQueen, who we know from 12 Years a Slave, Shame, Hunger, which was a movie I really personally loved mm-hmm. um and written by jillian flynn gone girl sharp objects 
and uh, co-written st- with co-written with, with uh, Steve, Steve McQueen. McQueen. Yeah. Oh, he also co-wrote. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's fan- that makes me excited. Uh, takes place here in Chicago, uh, starring Viola Davis and Liam Neeson. Uh, Liam Neeson. Yeah, I got the Liam Neeson. Cynthia Cynthia Rivero. Yeah, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. Huge Robert Duvall. When was the last time he was? Wasn't he in like Secondhand Lions? I think that's the last <laughs> was, or the yeah. judge. The judge. I was he was the judge. How dare you forget when the he got judge. A, that was an Oscar judge. nomination for that. Oh, yeah, because like, it's Robert Duvall. Damn. Tried to. So widows. Uh, this was one I was pretty excited for. Um, you know, Clint. Let's get sure. over you and then yeah. Nick. Sure. Give me your impression. Finally saw this one. I watched it last night, and the thing about Widows is, I still don't know exactly how I feel about it. I mean, I know I, I'm very positive on it, but in terms of articulating all the complex feelings that it engenders, I think is really fascinating because at once, um, Steve McQueen, I think he really he cre- he crafts a really fine crime thriller, but within it is infused all of these different dynamics. I think the regionality is a little. I mean, it's. I would still have to work that out because it's essentially about this like really corrupt alderman race in Chicago and, mm-hmm. and all that all that kind of stuff along the South Side. But um, it's fueled by some really fantastic performances. I mean, Viola Davis is great as always, but Elizabeth Debicki, I don't think I'd seen her do uh, anything near that. Like I, I, the last thing I saw her in was the Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, wonderful Good lord! Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, but the two of them are fantastic in it. Um, uh, uh, Michelle Rodriguez uh, gets the biggest acting challenge of her career by uh, you know having to act like she doesn't know how to hold a gun um but <laughs> she's she fantastic yeah. yeah she does I, I i i joke but i love michelle rodriguez um and yeah it's just it has a lot of really smart writing a lot of really interesting meditations about the nature of female power um and how that manifests in various things especially with these titular widows who have more or less lived in the, like the shadow of this of this very traditional gender relationship where like mm-hmm. the man is taking care of them and they're they're gone and they have to sort of they step up to the plate and sort Sort of finish what these people have started and there's all all kinds of crime thriller twists in between and uh yeah just as a as sheer craft i actually really really enjoyed it there's a that same like steve mcqueen aesthetic distance you have to get used to you have to sort of wade through to get to like those emotional beats but um yeah i it, it really it really gave me a lot to think about yeah, I'd, yeah I'd like to kind of echo in a way but it's just this great example of uh art and entertainment kind of converging to be truly um, compelling in a lot of different ways, whether you're watching a shot of like a windshield and you're seeing the, the city kind of pass by in a car while there's a main dialogue happening. You don't see who's talking, but you're kind of watching the background and truly being challenged beyond what a normal kind of blockbuster would do. But then at the same point, like when I saw it, it, it was the, every twist worked really well. <laughs> and I, th- I think that's one of my favorite parts about it is that it's so genuinely surprising and exciting in that way while also telling a story about these men who are trash and have made this giant mess for these women to pick up and it doesn't seem like it's pandering but just kind of slowly adding like why haven't we seen these kind of images before these kind of stories as much in hollywood and this movie's certainly a an exciting push in that direction um but i I really like widows um for a lot of it's intense and it's also its, also its purpose. So mm-hmm. that's my thing. And I'm a big Jillian Flynn fan. Yeah. I mean, I, everything yeah. I've watched, I, I, she's one of the few people that has, you know, seemed to have successfully moved on from writing novels to writing screenplays, something that is... Something that J.K. Rowling <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, God. I was waiting we for went, someone to say it. I know. <laughs> we went way too deep on that last week. Holy yeah. cow. Um, <laughs> but we yeah, straight I, up er- Luddites. Not yeah. erudites. We were Luddites about that shit. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it really excites me because I loved Gone Girl and I loved 
the sharp objects mini series i thought it was in terms of just like really well done crime drama so it's uh it was nice to have widows also be in that similar tradition i kind of do want to see her branch out at some point um it's kind of i don't want to say shtick but like writing damaged women is is kind of her bag right now hopefully i can't wait to see what she does next um and also pairing her with someone like steve mcqueen i think is a great idea um and it's nice to see steve mcqueen also branching out a little bit not that he has a particularly singular uh filmography but um you know when your last when the last big movie you made was 12 years a slave you know, is is he only going to be strapped to like Oscar, big Oscar sort of things? Right. I don't think and, he wants to be. I think yeah. This right, is clearly right. a great sign that he's able to adapt the sensibilities, those values and storytelling and visuals to a movie that's like a block. But you could this sell is as a definitely blockbuster. Definitely his most mainstream movie, but not yeah. in like. I mean, it's it's a crowd. There was one woman who I saw it who was just going, "Yeah!" <laughs> like throwing and her hands up. And that's, that's so my cool. favorite right, thing right. to see in a yeah. movie is when people right. cheer and have uh, yeah. have yeah. A, have a, that level of an emotional connection. So uh, we have to touch on this. Uh, the movie that shocked a film festival <laughs> that and brings us into the aforementioned ninth circle of hell. Yeah, mo- I know, right? Yeah, I, when you said month. it earlier, that's what I thought of. A movie that is now going to get IFC fined by the Motion Picture Association of America. <laughs> the house that Jack built. <laughs> Lars von Trier, real-life Nazi apologist. <laughs> <laughs> and you would never guess it from the name. Never. Alleged Bjorka boot abuser. I, oh, exactly. Yeah. I do have to say, I heard a story that, um, and this is this is hearsay, but I heard a story that his name is not actually like Von Trier. No, he added Von. He added Von so that he would sound more regal, I guess. Yeah, gross. So <laughs> he's got this that's new... Awesome, all the I terrible think. things he's done, that's somehow the worst. That's, could you <laughs> call me Connor Von Cornelius? To see how that wow. works. I'll call you Baron Von Asshole. Thank how about you. that? that uh, so <laughs> You haven't scratched behind my ears in a bit, Tom. Not, <laughs> no, no, I really haven't. <laughs> so uh, this is a serial killer movie starring matt dillon matt dillon who does an um, amazing job and and i've always really enjoyed matt dillon especially when he does these smaller roles you uh, mean dupree yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes he is like well, you mean dupree a few more notches it's like <laughs> yeah. you know you I've, may know him from from dupree to dupree every wow. everybody Ooh, loves uh nice. everybody loves the outsiders but i was always a Rumblefish kid i loved yeah, i loved Rumblefish. Rumblefish. um and this i think he's a drugstore cowboy you know, so I really love him in these like kind of kind of sleazy roles. I don't know if sleazy is the word for this. But oh, he was in Entourage. So. He was. That's <laughs> true. Um, but it also stars Uma Thurman. Correct. She's in it very briefly. Very briefly. Yeah, because it's um, in an ironic turn in a sense for me because prior to me finding out about this movie, I had not heard of this movie until yep. after I read the New York Times piece where she talked about. Uh, the set of kill bill and the accident and tarantino and all this kind of stuff and i was just like oh wow this is her really coming out against abusive men and all this kind and of then stuff she worked with von trier works yeah. with, works with von trier and then is in a movie where she is dealing with like the height of abusive manhood which is like murder in a sense but maybe that's not the best way to talk about it um i i want to touch on also uh what i mean by ifc getting fined by the motion picture association of america it has to do if i read the if i read the whole thing correctly it has to do with the release schedule they came out with this director's cut on unrated yeah it's what showed it can and that's what like 
over 100 people walked out of and there that was a, the whole controversy out of can and they showed it at the music box this week one yeah, night only it wednesday and now we're going to get the theatrical release which is edited but the, apparently that's a problem with the mpaa you can't have like a director unrated director's cut release so close to, to a be, theatrical cut apparently there has to be like a 90-day window between different releases what a crock um, of shit and it's because it <laughs> quote-unquote like you what know, undermines the effectiveness of the MPA within the eyes of America's parents or something. Fucking good. <laughs> because like, so many kids you know, that because like, that's the thing I was say. just saying, like, because I mean, I don't know who is going to be like, I don't know which version of this Lars von Trier serial killer. Which one am epic. I going to bring my kids that's to? That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, PG 13 cut. Because yeah. they were scared that it was causing <laughs> confusion about which was R and which was unrated. Like, if you go on Fandango, the director's cut was being labeled as R, even though it's really unrated. But I mean, apparently there's like an 80 second difference between the two versions which I can kind of guess after seeing what they're going to cut. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like looking at the two versions of De Palma's Dress to Kill. Sure. You know, there's really not that much difference. There's like... It's just like, if nothing else, it's more just, you know, tonally abrasive, I think is what would hmm. cause the most outrage. But it's... I I like this overall, and I'm very ashamed to say so. Um, <laughs> because this is... I when, I when it ended, I'm like, fuck, I actually like this movie. Right? Because <laughs> I... There are parts where... It, there's okay so the thing is it's broken up into six chapters of you know him you know matt dylan as jack talking to this unseen character who he calls verge and so it's like obviously he's virgil and so that would make jack dante and so that would make the movie a glorified retelling of you can probably guess what and so as you go Clerks, through this right yeah exactly yeah exactly okay. and so as you go through this you get you know five randomly selected incidents of like what defined him as a serial killer and then it goes into an epilogue, and there the first hour or so is actually hilarious, and it's meant to be hilarious. And it's I was laughing my ass off. Specifically, the second incident, it's staged and paced kind of like an Adult Swim sketch by way of Man Bites Dog, <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like he has to lie to a woman that he's a police officer so he can like prey on her and get into her house and kill her, and then he's paranoid, like he has really bad OCD, so he's going into the van and he. Like, the cops are coming, but he keeps imagining these bloodstains in her house, so he has to rush back in to clean it obsessively, and he's like, oh, fuck. And it's really funny and twisted. And then there are these other scenes that are harrowing. There's a scene where he's um, preying on a mother and two small children who are on a hunting trip, and I'll leave it at that, Mm. Um, and that made me want to die. In a great way, though. And (laughs) then there's a scene... But the thing was... So there's a lot of fantastic stuff here, if you can call it that. And then there's a scene with Riley Keough, which is where it gets to the most masturbatory parallels between Jack. Because Jack is so obviously a self-insert for Von Trier. Yeah. And this movie is like kind of a... It's fascinating at the most when it talks about... like Because it talks a lot about the, the qualities of art. And I think it's fascinating when... It really comes to Von Trier admitting himself to be a failed artist who only shocks people because he doesn't really have enough empathy. And I think that's a pretty nice admission from him. That's pretty bold. It is. And just put that out and there. And that's kind of the thesis of the movie. Um, but there's one scene with Riley Keough as like kind of his girlfriend um, who Jack refers to as simple. Just calls her mm-hmm. simple and verbally berates her. And there's this scene of sexualized violence that is so unnecessary not just because of the content but because it happens almost two hours into the movie and by this point you've already gotten used to the point the fact that the fact that everything in this movie is 
part of the film. So at this point, the shock tactics feel like a slap to the back of the head. Mm. So it feels like more of like edgelord 4chan bullshit instead of actual actual provocation. That does sound like Lars von Trier. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. And then also like later on, he like Jack has a thing where he talks about how he appreciates Nazi architecture and it shows <laughs> clips from the Holocaust and like concentration camp, like bodies being yeah. plowed away. And that's another thing where I'm like, okay, you're trolling, but you already trolled us by casting Bruno Gantz in the main supporting role. And Bruno Gantz's main claim to fame is playing Adolf Hitler in Downfall. Yeah. And so equating the audience, you know, conduit with this, you know, person associated with Hitler, like you already trolled us enough. And that was a lot wittier. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do this. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I want to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely for the fans. And uh, when, <laughs> yeah. when the, when, <laughs> it's like those those love letter, yeah. those fucking Backstreet Boys CDs that you got from Burger King in yeah. 1995. It's for the fans, you know. It's yeah. like if you're already engaging Von Trier, whether you are truly disgusted by him, or as long as you're just a part of, you want to listen to what he has to say because we're talking about how provocative he is for what kind of sake or to what end. <laughs> um, and if you're interested in all of these weird metaphors that he makes between serial killing and uh, wine gr- uh, rot or yeah, whatever, just like a nymphomaniac where he uses fishing as this like kind and of the Fibonacci spiral. Mm-hmm. Right. So these interesting kind of masturbatory discussions that you do have to be a kind of on the Von Trier wavelength or to care about this stuff. Uh, to be truly engaged by, I, 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 for me, so it worked for me in that way, but also as like a summation of kind of American serial killers and all these different details. I thought that was really interesting, like the crutch and, and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I would say uh, it, it's very funny. Uh, Matt Dillon's performance, though, it, for me is like a you know a uh, dark horse or whatever you want to call it like i'm calling it now like best actor matt no no i'm kidding but i mean it's really (laughs) good it should not be forgotten because it's a true like really well calibrated performance of comedy and darkness in a way that's very surprising i think from him but also just proves that von trier is is truly a great actor's director Mm-hmm. even if he's like doing terrible things to them as well yeah interesting it's um, something to consider i had a question that yeah. i, I want to ask you guys then um the things that i've been saying i'm on a few different like chat groups or whatever where some people are more cinephile oriented and some people are more in one and then in another it's a little bit more of like an everyday kind of viewer thing you know so the people that have seen in the cinephile group they they watched the house that jack built and they're like this movie's fucking ridiculous you're gonna you're gonna love it and people that kind of can approach movies from a little bit more of an artistic standpoint and and admire the craft and still know that Lars von Trier is a piece of shit. But I'm curious about what you think people's reaction... I mean, I guess the walkout, right, is a lot of people, the normal person, not normal, but the average viewer's reaction, right? Mm -hmm. What do you guys think will be the legacy of this movie writ large? It's definitely a slasher movie. Uh, it's var- his version of it, but from the yeah. perspective of the slasher and with all of the rambling comedy of it and everything, and I think people might kind of shine to it in that way because we love serial killers. We love crime uh, in this country, uh, mm-hmm. in our entertainment at least. Um, so I do think it has some longevity potential in that, but I also think that it is so very much about the discussion of all this stuff and all these weird 
poetry that he tries to create that might turn people off. But yeah, if you want to see some gnarly shit, bro, I mean, Jack, Jack, <laughs> exactly. it's got it. Is that got the, it. make it happen? Is yeah. that kind of what like you're thinking yeah. about when you're seeing? Like, that's the kind of guys. I kind of like because I'm such a glutton for punishment. I mean, I don't know what this says about me, and I kind of hate what it might say. Is I haven't stopped thinking about this movie since I saw it on Wednesday night, and it's Saturday afternoon as we record this, hmm. but. If there, if the Riley Keough segment and like the clips of the Holocaust were not there, I'm pretty sure this would be my top ten of the year. Jesus, because there are some wow. moments that I absolutely loved in this movie because they made me, because I just wanted to pass out. Um, and then there were some moments where I was laughing my ass off, and I think specifically like the moment with the children and the mother. Mm-hmm. He strikes a really fine balance between on-screen graphic violence and implied violence and it also works because he focuses on the victims and it's just so torturous Mm -hmm. in the way he intends and also he said in an interview it's meant to celebrate the fact that life is evil and soulless and I would say it does this with it accomplishes that. Aim. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. All right. Well, it's it's exciting that it exists um, and that we can. Well, it, I mean, it, honestly, yeah. that we can have a film that can can gnaw at you that right. much. Like you watch it on a Wednesday, and we're still talking about it on a Saturday. You know, whether or not you were on this show, I'm guessing you would still be thinking about like, fuck, this movie really, yeah. really went some fucking places. Um, we're gonna skip on Buster Scruggs. I think we'll save that for another time. We've already talked about one pitch black comedy broken. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. And then Wreck-It Ralph, uh, who, who, I mean, it was fun. It was fun. I like the message behind it. The Frozen 2 tease thing at the end was so passe and really dumb. I kind of wish they had gone into the dark web in the movie. Like, just (laughs) be like, they did a little bit. Give a a rated R version of Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph watches internet porn. Yeah. (laughs) Discovers internet porn. They uncover Russian collusion. (laughs) Russian bots. Why didn't they go there? Disney, you have a responsibility. Um, I want to leave it, since, since you guys are all critics, um... There's something that Paul Schrader said recently, uh, and we. I just wanna. I just wanna get have them guess it. Do you, do they, they know. <laughs> oh, yeah. they know. <laughs> That's why we made the sound. Uh, so uh, Paul Schrader essentially. I'm gonna paraphrase here because it's not worth uh, directly quoting. Um, essentially said that they need we need better movie audiences in 2018, and that people movie audiences in the 70s were better. I'm going to limit you guys to um, I'm going to limit you guys to a minute. You give me a minute response to that about how you feel about it. I'm going to start with Nick. Yo, Paul Schrader, come at me. I think First Reformed is a ripoff of so many better movies. It's like, so I'm tired, I'm tired of this First Reformed no, no. shit right now. Near, 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 near. I, know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to be Takashi 69 right now or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> lay it down. It's like, I understand, like, yo, you're, you know, you're sentimental about previous times, previous movies, and so forth in the 70s. But I think um, people were smoking in movie theaters at that time, probably. You know, it was probably hard to breathe in those theaters. But we're talking about, like, audiences and how people watch movies in 2018 to the 70s. Is that, essentially, that's, essentially, he's saying that they're yeah. not paying enough attention. They don't see it as art. And I'm like, oh, please, <laughs> come on. It sounds like the Ethan People, love, people yeah. love his movie because yeah. it is art. And they're willing to, to not acknowledge how much he rips from so many other movies to make something yeah. that is uh-huh. a ritual screenplay. But if you watch Brisson or if you watch Winter Light, especially Winter Light, yeah, it's like it's, it's a ripoff. Also only only a lot of he could get away with that, and it's driving me he's fucking Paul, crazy. Because he's Paul fucking Schrader. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, uh, <laughs> Matt. Thoughts. 
I mean, it's it was kind of a slap. To th- I I love First Reformed. I saw it yeah. three times, and I think it's like my number four of the year currently, or something. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, when I saw this, it reminded me a lot of that Ethan Hawke interview when he was talking about how you know people are too focused on superhero movies and they don't see things as art. And it came off as really pretentious and kind of coming from the guy who's in reality fucking bites. Yeah, like, come on. <laughs> just like and Juliet naked. And um, uh-huh. but the thing is when paul schrader said that it's like i there are points where i can kind of get it i think it was like william bibiani tweeted something a couple weeks ago how like if you adjust for inflation dog day afternoon made as much as ant-man and the wasp made this year domestically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um like 160 million or something and that's fascinating and i wish we could like i'm sure that was a, a fascinating time and i wish i was alive to experience times like that but i also think that I, I mean, I'm also appreciative of people being a lot harder on certain movies in terms mm-hmm. of, um, and this is so millennial me to say, I really like the fact that a lot of critics have become so woke because I think it gives a lot of filmmakers, um, it forces filmmakers to confront more of their, you know, their hypocrisies more right. often. And so it, it emphasizes better writing. And it's worth mentioning that these uh, new Hollywood brats were the ones that fucked up the film industry in the first place. They came along and they're like, yeah, we're, we're arts, we're artsy as fuck. We're going to make the movies we want to make. <laughs> and then all of a sudden Coppola's making one for the heart. And like, these guys were so air. Heaven's gate. Yeah. Heaven's yeah. fucking gate. Uh, thanks Michael Cimino, you dickhead. Uh, <laughs> rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah. yeah sorry. Man. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Fuck it. Because I'm Fuck you from beyond the grave. <laughs> because, because there's a great book out there that I really love and I'm reading it for the second time called, uh, uh, Easy Riders, Raging, Raging Bulls. Bulls, and if you want to suddenly, if you want to fall out of love with most of these directors, except for maybe Scorsese, who is just like, yeah, he was just kind of coked out coked and out. really into yeah. like coked out, baby. Godard. Like that was just, that was just him. He didn't really hurt that many people. Yeah. Everyone else was a fucking piece of shit, especially Peter Bogdanovich. Mm-hmm. Polly Platt will come for you in the afterlife. I just want you to know that. But um, <laughs> I just find it very ironic that it's you know Paul. Schrader, oh poor Paul Schrader, yeah. you know, did so many drugs and was such a uh, uh, like a psycho that he wrote Taxi Driver, you know, which is a great movie. I love Taxi script, Driver; yeah. it's an amazing right. script. But that doesn't just suddenly, in perpetuity, give you the ability to comment on, you know, things. Be oh, so much better back in the seventies. And I'm like, yeah, you wrote these great movies, and you're still making great stuff. But just like it was a different time, and recognize that your peers, maybe not you, but your peers, were the ones that kind of fucked it up for everybody again. Clint. Uh, yeah, I think it's really rich that Paul Schrader's shooting his mouth off right now since he also said that he really wished he could have hired Kevin Spacey for a movie. Is that real? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Real? I, th- I okay. think that was real. Yeah, but like he wouldn't. They wouldn't I thought that was originally it. what you were going to ask. Us yeah, about. so that's uh, why. Yeah, yeah no. which, which Schrader statement of the week? Right. Yeah. yeah, that's why it's I went sad. new thing every time. I mean, to a certain extent, like I can get the instinct because I occasionally do get frustrated at people. Um, lashing out about like oh there's no original movies anymore but then original movies come out and no one sees them Mm -hmm. but i think that's also a product of things like the marketplace and streaming and we have more movies available to us now ever than ever before like they're coming out even netflix alone is coming out with more content that we can realistically catch up to so Mm -hmm. it's like what what do you really expect of movie audiences today and in the 70s and stuff like this there is more to pay attention to now and i think even the fact that we're able to elevate um, you know, great movies in our own conversations over so over social media and stuff. I think is way more valuable than traders may be giving it credit for because he's a grumpy old man. Yes, and probably a piece <laughs> of shit. 
Yeah. Well, I completely agree with that. The ability to um, create our own, you know, idea of what is a great film and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the segmentation and the, you know, the uh, stratification of kind of film people and being this type of person and being this type of person, what you will and won't see, you know, it, it does. We, although we do talk about how in the current, times we are in a certain level of monoculture but we're also in an amazing level of subculture where you can just be anything Mm -hmm. you can create your own subculture like that and it's really that easy so i find that interesting connor i do what are your thoughts on this i would like to uh kind of just speak a little bit more broadly about it and through the lens of uh, one of paul schrader's more recent movies dog eat dog with nicholas cage and willem dafoe uh I really want to give him... This is exactly how I feel about Paul Schrader. He's capable of giving you the opportunity of something that could just be your favorite fucking thing in the whole world, right? Yeah. Dog Eat Dog, Nicolas Cage, my favorite. Willem Dafoe, I love him. <laughs> employing, employing two of my favorite fucking musicians, the most creative drummer in the entire world right now, D'Antony Parks, with his writing partner, Nikki Casper, and We Are Dark Angels, doing the score. Fucking awesome. And it gave me such high hopes for it. And then it comes out, and it's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the... And that's, like, what I think about Paul Schrader is, like... I think in this day and age, it's kind of hard to have heroes, right? It's kind of hard to have these like cinematic superheroes that you can look up to. And I think the Paul Schrader is one of those people because he, he turns in consistently really uneven work. And unless you're like some super genius that can put in everything and everything that you do, like you just shit out gold bricks. I mean, then maybe you can have a license to say some of that kind of grumpy old man shit, like you were saying, but Mm -hmm. he is, has had a really uneven career and he's kind of a bastard, right? Yeah, so it's like, yeah. who gives a shit what this guy? Like, is imagine saying him saying point. this around the time the canyons came. I was out. just gonna say, yeah. Yeah. The canyons, the canyons, which is about the cinematic experience too. It even began with those images of like dead ass movie houses. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it, that's been his. Course Similarly for a while. to Transformers: Age of Extinction. Mm. Yes, oh, yes, yeah. good lord. Both films about the death of cinema. And, uh, and <laughs> Age of Extinction has and Chicago they both has yeah. the Uptown Theater in it, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Michael Bay is Thank the you, last Michael. American auteur. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much to everybody. You joke. You joke. No. You love him or hate him. He is an auteur, and I will back that. And he is American. Right. And he, he is, is American. American. We yeah. can confirm All that. All American. All right. Uh, let's go down the table and everybody say where we can find you. Clint, you start. Uh, you can find my work at consequenceofsound.net, as well as the podcasts Alka Hollywood and Nathan Raven's Happy Cast. Uh, you can find my reviews at filmmonthly.com. I'm at Twitter at Sapola Matt. Uh, you find me on the internet at RogerEbert.com and Twitter at NickAllen underscore Redux. Oh, and I'm on Twitter at AlkaHollywood. Fantastic. Thank you all so much for coming in. Thank Can't you. wait till next time. Uh, you've been listening to No Co Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>